Holy cow, it's Tuesday, and it's the Dice Are Screaming. Oh. Coming at you one more time. Yeah, that's me, Randy. And Mike. Yeah, that's him. And we're together from the Dice Are Screaming podcast crew, all two of us. Yes. Along with our tens of listeners. All tens of you. Tens. Form of a podcast. That's right. Shape of <laughs> a microphone. Okay, so as we are gathered here, we are going to have a good time tonight because it's our 40th episode. It is worthy of celebration. I, I think like this, this is a good cause for breaking into song. Song, yes. yes. Breaking into song with a... A beautiful episode about bards. You mean Led Zeppelin? Well, that's a terrific example. I, those are epic-level bards, as we've mentioned before. I'm totally in favor of that. Huh. Well, have you mastered YYZ? It's YYZ, and no, Neil Peart stands alone. Well, then we can't talk about bards, then. Ah. No, we are taking a dark turn tonight, so prepare yourselves. Something and, wicked this way comes. And we have some call-ins, call-ins, call-ins. Call-ins from, let's see, what is this? This is, guys. It's Chuck Doran! Chuck Doran! Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry, I stumbled over myself for a second. <laughs> Chuck Doran is called in. Holy cow! Can you imagine that? All right. Hey. We haven't heard from that cat in a long time. Yeah, good to hear from you. I thought he got mauled by bugbears or something. Uh, well, haven't we all? Uh, Speak for yourself, sir. Well, I uh, barely survived my battle with the dreaded Turklore during the Thanksgiving season, so... Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we did come to... Then, of course, Black Friday. Yeah, we did come to grips with I, the dread beast and death itself, but I, we have emerged victorious. You know. I mostly hid. Uh, I, I cowered until the carnage was over. Was. Then, then crept out for Cyber Monday. Yeah, uh, probably a same <laughs> I kid, I kid. No, you know, it's probably the same decision. But Chuck Dorn is called in, so let's get right to it. Chuck Dorn, take it away. Screaming. The dice are screaming. Well, hey, it's Chuck with Playing It Wrong. Calling you in again, and you guys got me thinking about the good old days. I cut my teeth on a lot of espionage RPGs. Started off with Top Secret, then Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes, the James Bond RPG. And we finally settled on uh, Espionage by Hero Games, and then it's Cousin uh, Danger International. And for the future, I might do something with the D6 or Savage Worlds. But adding to your appendix M, yeah, M, get it, uh, we're going with uh, I Spy, Mission Impossible for the, uh, the teamwork and all that. And of course, one of the biggest things for Espionage RPGs is getting player buy-in into the genre. That's the tough part, man. Hey, loving the episodes? Keep it up. All right, and that was Chuck Thorin. Huh. Yeah. Missed you, man. Oh, I love the reference. Uh, well, for starters, cutting the teeth on some of those early proto-espionage games is great, especially those of us who grew up watching uh, late-night episodes of, like, The Saint. Uh, you know, those yeah. were... Or... Uh, Remington Steel, you know, would be yeah. another example. You know, capers, things like that. Uh, the espionage stuff was a lot of fun. Uh, I've never heard of Danger International, so that's yeah, it's a new more one like a me. kind of pulpish. Is it? Yeah, but you know, Hero Systems, we missed that one, so thanks, Chuck, for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes is a pretty simple system, but it's uh, 
the simplicity belies the complexity, of course. It's all in how you uh, tell the story makes all the difference. Um, it doesn't really matter all that much for the rules, to be honest. But, um, yeah, the big part of espionage is the buy-in. You know, you just can't go in with guns blazing. Well, okay, sometimes you can, <laughs> but... Uh, I hereby declare this a black op. No, no witnesses. witnesses. Yeah. Can we make this just plan for everything from now on? This worked out really well. Yeah, sometimes uh, you need to have the players on board with the subtlety of the mission, and they want to be able to play it. And for some people, it can be really boring and stifling. You know, I just wanted to go in the dungeon and bust down some doors and crack some skulls, kill some orcs, you know, blow off some steam. Yeah, it can be a little tougher with that for... Uh, Espionage, and we will, of course, cover uh, Shadowrun not too distant future here coming up. Oh yeah, it'll and, happen because um, uh, the cyberpunk Shadowrun, uh, you know, steampunkish. Well, not not so much steampunk, but rather the uh, the fusion of dark future uh, type games. Yeah, dystopian. Yeah, uh, near future was uh, it loomed pretty big, and it's a big gaming genre. But uh, it was another favorite for us. So yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, totally on board with Shadowrun episode coming up here. So stay tuned. But uh, thank you for the call in, Chuck. And of course, playing it wrong if you're not listening to it. Well, you're wrong. You <laughs> yeah. should listen to it. Chuck's is, uh, you know, um, you're not man, listening to this show. You're listening wrong. Yes, you are listening wrong. He's one of the greats, so make sure that you always give him a listen and uh, follow that guy. But uh, that sets the tone for what we're talking about tonight. And uh, it does compass a lot of the uh, genres we've been talking about, espionage. Oh, it crosses every boundary. It is a facet that is universal to all role-playing. Yep. It's villains. I was going to say bards. Oh, oh man. Because every, everybody loves a it. happy tune. No, they don't. Oh. But. All right, maybe there's a villainous theme song. Somewhere. Maybe there's a villainous bard, you know, maybe yeah. it just makes people feel bad. <laughs> Justin Bieber, you know. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. Oh, right. yeah. That, I hesitate to put that amongst the ranks of bards. True, true. I, I yeah, To be a bard, you actually have to have talent. But we digress. Yeah. Villains. Yes, they are the staple of a lot of different uh, role playing games from superheroes to espionage, and of course, when you say villains, you can mean anything uh, from just, even at low levels, having a villain uh, as it comes into play and you develop it. It doesn't have to be a megalomaniacal, you know, arch nemesis that hovers over the brink of everything, overseeing machinations throughout many countries and lands. It can be just something as simple as an orc chieftain with uh, <clears throat> grudge to bear against somebody in the party, or, you know, uh, just stopping the adventurers from getting deeper in the dungeon. No matter what it is, villains will creep up in the campaign, and how you handle them, that's the big thing. Now, of course, you can have a villain at the end of it. Sometimes gods make the ultimate villain, because they can just get away with anything. Oh, plus, that's more of your campaign closer. You yeah. Know? That's, uh, in classic Greyhawk, it would be Ayas, yes. who perennially, you know, is working against the best interests of other countries at all times and has countless minions. And among those minions are your outstanding mini-bosses or, you know, moderate bosses, with, of course, Aya's being the uber-boss. Yeah, over-everything, yeah. 
Now, you know, we're going to talk short-term first, but uh, we will cover the, the longer-term villains later. So when we, we say villains, you know, Randy's absolutely right. It can mean almost anything. Uh, and your level of commitment, I mean, this, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, DM Club, you choose your own level of commitment. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> you have to determine how far you're going to go in making a charming villain. If you're making a disposable, and we're talking the shorter term, uh, one little campaign arc, several session mini boss, uh, maybe you don't want to throw, you know, everything at the party in terms of creating... Yeah, a really you definitely don't want to make character. him a lich right off the bat, say. Yeah, and you don't want to invest a lot in personality and relationship if they're going to be dead in two sessions. Uh, it's yeah. the longer-term ones. But giving each individual villain or mini-boss uh, some flair, giving them some life, uh, is a total win. Uh, player characters, give them somebody they love to hate. Yep, and that's the big thing right there, is that even if it's that you know, your first level and your first real villain that you face, so to speak. And we're using this term lightly because it can be interchangeable to a great many things. It could be an organization, it could be a thieves guild that you ran afoul of, it could be, um, heck, it could even be a, a group of nobles that uh, you've ticked off somehow through your travels, you know, and they seek revenge against you. But no matter it is, there's a, a moment of personal identity where the players and the would-be villain get to kind of cross swords, or and before crossing swords, cross words. And we're not talking about the puzzles in the New York Times, we're talking about a little bit of banter back and forth. Oh, it's time for villainy monologues. Yep. This is step one in my 47-part plan for world conquest. And the players are already telling you, yeah, that's fine. I'm rolling initiative. I'm shooting you in the face with my crossbow. Yeah. Casting fireball. Ah, they, do it, they do it to me every time. Never get caught with your monologue down. Right. So, you know, usually it's delivered when they retreat or when the players have to retreat. And, uh, you know, not all encounters with a villain always have to end in episodic combat where everything is resolved with one party leaving the field of battle victorious and the other one laying dead. Yeah, this is, creating a repeating villain is much, much tougher because you need to study all of your little bolt hole items that will get a enemy out of the reach of homicidal player characters. Uh, because if you're really doing your job as a villain creator, they probably want this person gone. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> keeping them from doing that is tough. I, I love, personally, just uh, just a little finishing touch. It's not enough to have an orcish chieftain. Uh, mm -hmm. Sure, they've got some sub-chiefs and all of that. Uh, but, you know, uh, give him, uh, you know, one tooth that's half gone and the other one hangs down. And, yep. Uh, you know, maybe uh, he's lost an eye like Grumpsh. Yeah, uh, The orcish god and, uh, sits there brooding upon his uh, makeshift throne uh, and has a, you know, beloved spear with a few nasty powers the player characters don't want, like yep. covered in poison. Right there you've hit the essence as you make that character interesting. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, it's an orc chieftain. You know, okay, what's his name? Uh, Bob. No, you're not going to do it. But if you have... Alcarg, the elf slayer. Yeah. And you're bringing an elf in the party, and he wants that elf 
a pair of elf ears for his necklace to, to wear so he can impress more orc wives. Well, you know, that's his motivation. It can be just that simple, too. But it could also be he wants the beard of the dwarf or, you know, he has a preference for pickled halfling's feet. Yeah, yeah, that you can <laughs> have them find a jar full of those. Like, mind you, uh, it's best to determine what's in your party. Yeah, and what is going to make them go eep, and then have them find that before the encounter. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, wait, this entire keg is filled with pickled halfling feet, and the rogue halfling sneaks to the back of the party and says, "No, no, I'll just, you know, I'll be back here, right behind the fighter." Yep. <laughs> or, you know, a necklace of elf ears that he wears proudly. Yeah. Or a uh, belt made out of dwarven beards. Yeah. See, these are things that will, you know, add a little intimidation factor. Like, yeah, and also piss off the dwarf. Correct. It'll, it'll get that party actually looking forward to the fight. Or, or you have a paladin. A nervous about it. You know, he could be wearing the uh, shield of a paladin lord. Uh, hammered it into a breastplate. Mm -hmm. So, that's just a very simple idea, and we're just spitballing ideas out there. Hopefully, a few of them stick. But that's an example of an early one. Now, of course, you don't you don't imagine that one lasting for more than a couple of adventures, and eventually they'll bring him to bear, and you know, down he'll go. Maybe he'll get away a couple of times. Oh, curse you, orc chieftain Alcarg! I'll get you one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you knocked him down a few hit points, he. Hurls the sub chieftains at you and sneaks out the back. Oh, that coward! <laughs> it's uh, well worth it, but having an exit plan for your more relevant villains, there's there's a couple of possibilities here. One, not revealing them precisely in the first place, mm -hmm. and and this is in the finest of pulp writing traditions. Oh. You know, give them a false identity and a nickname. You know, they're they're a shadowy underworld leader or a much feared uh, agent of some hostile state. The or... League of Shadows with a demon hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are ways to prevent you from preventing your players from having access to your villain before you're ready for it. Disengage entirely. You send the minions in. Right. And you have the you know investigations and question asking and divinations reveal that you know, like there is an agent at work against you. Right. Uh, and this is called peeling back the onion. You know, yeah. those layers as they come apart, they reveal more underneath. And so the deeper the plot goes. Now, if you're using like a lich, obviously the very first encounter with him is not going to be with the lich. Oh, you're, going to like not. you're going to in, encounter some of his minions, perhaps a gifted ghast with clerical powers that, you know, is attuned to him and his ascension. You know, it doesn't have a lot. Or some evil oculate uh, hoping to learn the secrets yep. of eternal uh, existence, you know, from this lich. Uh, some mid-rank, you know, is coming at you with, like, in the name of my master, I will destroy you. Yep, and uh, or a wizard who is also doing much the same, trying to figure out his own way. And it doesn't always have to be one villain. Randy touched on something just a bit earlier that is so worth mentioning. Don't get pigeonholed into the one opponent against the party thing. 
Uh, sometimes it can be a conspiracy, a plot of multiple persons or multiple monsters, a loose collaboration uh, where the party winds up being the target of their schemes. Yep. Oh, well, we talked about like the nobles. Okay. Now you may say, well, nobles don't have much power. Oh, but they oh, do. They have. What's your superpower? I have a bootload of money. Yep. And influence. <laughs> yes. Augustus St. Cloud here. <laughs> yep. And so, you could use all sorts of resources to pit the players against the minions of this group. It could be a thieves' guild, too, with the same amount of influence, but through corrupt officials and mem compromised members of the government or king's uh, court. I thought I smelled your foul stench. Yep, and see, all these As names... As the Baron of Thieves, I have a certain reputation to uphold, Korgoth. My early days... We were playing Caves of Chaos. Yeah, I know. Back when the Caves of Chaos were just a couple of chaotic, neutrally aligned holes in the Holes hills. in a hill. Yep. <laughs> we went in the goblin lair. A goblin subchief got away. And he bedeviled us for the rest of that game. Wasn't he the one that uh, paid off the ogre? To yeah. yeah Go get him! Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, we he we allowed him to get away and uh, because we were low on hit points, and boy, did he bedevil us for the rest of the uh, little mini campaign there. But uh, they gave him a name, Gilbert, and yeah, I know it sounds silly at the time, but hey, we were young. But my dwarf, fat-hearted man, I wanted a piece of that guy so bad, just wanted to cleave him right into it. He would never get in range, always shooting me from afar, riding a wolf after a while. Run away, yeah, and fight again another day. No matter how many of his minions I'd kill. Come back and face me! Nope. <laughs> he knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Dwarven axe to the face. Yeah, and also six other people, so. Mm. But there are multiple tricks in any DM's bag in almost any of the you know RPG systems uh, that can allow this. I mean, you know, secret doors is one less magical you know, means by which to accomplish this. Uh, illusions, feign death spells, mm -hmm. uh, you know, slipping behind a wall hanging through a pa hidden passageway. Or even just a potion of visibility or... Invisibility and the reality. Haste and an expeditious retreat. Uh, teleport and, of course, word of recall. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Pose. Uh, but placing that in the hands... Now, I like creating a medium uh, in these these longer-term opponent issues. You you want a public face and then a hidden hand that is moving things. And making a good public face, the, the right hand of the evil one, uh, give that person some flair and personality and lots of escape tricks so that they can come back and I'm going to have to assemble a whole new crew because the player character has killed my entire last one. Yeah. But having that one person who is a constant thread running through the whole plot, uh, and then having them at their master or mistress's side for the grand conflict, perfect. Uh, to me, that's, that's just classic yeah. film right incarnate. Yeah, and film is a little, uh, has a different pacing than games and books. And case in point is film, you know, they have a limited amount of time to show you everything, you know. Not I'm trying to avoid saying you saying the key phrase here. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> 
I mean, in not saying it, I still say it. So, pardon me. But, yes, yeah. they have a certain a limited amount of time to uh, break out the plot, introduce the characters, it's and like then the put line. into the... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm writing my and put forth the plot. And then, you know, mix it all together. So, you know, eventually the villain's going to be revealed easily, and then he has to be personable or at least hateable or unlikable by the audience. And so there's a lot of little tricks that they use on that. Following that script isn't necessarily doomed to failure, but gaming is a lot different. Like a book, um, you have to kind of unveil it slowly at a time, and Mike has the right of it right there, is that, you know, you meet the lieutenants, and you think, oh, the, this guy is at the top of it, but no, you find out yet another one is above him, and then, you know, that one, or the lieutenant escapes, and then the right hand intervenes, and now you re realize that this, the scope of this organization has changed. That's the way... Classically runs in role-playing games, but, you know, add in player characters and all bets are off. You know, never... Here's one rule, though, that you should keep. When you're using a villain, never be so sold on the idea of keeping the villain alive that you thwart the players at every opportunity from using their abilities. And I mean not by just your use of clever rules, but don't change the rules so that he survives somehow. Yeah, this is why you want to be really cautious with this. It's incredibly frustrating to players to be ex deus machina out of uh, an action that is otherwise, in game terms, legitimate. So, you do want a perfectly legitimate, perfectly explainable means by which your enemies can egress out of a situation if needed. Uh, and you want it to be ironclad, because just snatching things away from them is not... I hesitate to use the word fair, because as a DM... Nothing is fair but the dice. What is a DM but a miserable pile of lies? Yes, yes. <laughs> Cruelty, deception. Let the butthurt flow. Yes. <laughs> no um, greater foe, no better friend. <laughs> the DM. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and it, it's wonderful fun to pull the rug out from underneath player characters from time to time. But you make a good point, man. You make a good point. You, you do have to make sure that in the course of this, they don't feel absolutely helpless. Like, their powers and abilities and skills and questions mean nothing. There should be... If they all think to... you, man, you know, take your lumps and let it go. Yeah. And that's the end of it. You know, it's that sometimes these things bring uh, come to their own course, and the players have navigated and hedged their bets. And in a well-run campaign, they're going to have to work very hard to get one step ahead of you. But it, as Mike says, with a large group, like, we'll just take, to focus it down a little bit, let's take a lich. Okay, so this guy, let's just say this wizard is going to become a lich very soon. He's reaching the end of his life. Uh -huh. And now, you know, this is the moment he has chosen to make that next step beyond death. So he's assembled, you know, <clears throat> clerics of death, you know, in a gloom. To his side, he's also courted the undead, powerful ones to aid him in this endeavor, and also has several magic users who he trusts with a certain amount of certainty, not to betray him at the last possible moment. Yeah, but he has these minions, so use them. You know, so he's going to get away. He's collected these components. The players figure out where his lair is, and they track him and bring him to bear. You know, if he teleports away and somebody puts a dimensional lock in the area, hey, let it happen. Okay, 
that sour grapes him, but also one of his wizards could cast the spell magic and give him one more round to try to get away. And make the players work. They will respect it. And in the end, as long as you're fair, and it doesn't mean it always has to work in their favor, but they understand that they've been bested, they can at least say, well, we did everything we could, but we'll get them next time. Yeah. Uh, I, I have seen players pull off some amazing stuff that occasionally was purely based on careful thinking. On the other hand, I have also seen some moments of raw, absolute, ridiculous luck uh, screwing me over at the last possible minute uh, after considerable hard work on my part to make a great epic fight. Uh, in particular, not that long ago, uh, I handcrafted a old blue dragon. Uh, old blue. Yeah, named... I even named him. His name was Zizigir. Uh, Did you say it again? Yeah, <laughs> I could. Okay. Uh, but, no, I, I put all this time and effort in, and I, I carefully choreographed out, you know, what are my choices of actions per round, and, you know, what are the attack styles, what's, what's going to be the opening, and after all of that work, planning out at least a half a dozen rounds in advance, I went to game, and critical shot to the head uh, at the opening of round two. Uh, I got off one blast of lightning breath, and then it died, and I was mortified. Just, really? Really? Yeah. I've been building up to this for, like, literally, you knew you were going to do this for six weeks. This has been the hype event. They took more time fighting off a Mistu, uh, a creature listed in the second Monster Manual edition from the first edition books. Uh... Oh, man, I, I really confounded them with that. But the dragon that was the epic end fight slain in a heartbeat. Yeah. Profoundly disappointing. But you know what? I, I took my lumps, uh, and that was what the dice said. So that is how it transpired. Uh, yeah. Be obedient to that rule and that rule only. Because the players have to live by it. Sometimes, you know, as a yeah. DM, as hard as it is, and as much work you put in. But, you know, sometimes some fights have taken a life of their own, and... I tend to have, especially for chance encounters, it has always seemed to me that those work, at least in my experience, a little bit better because I'm not pre-planned into a, a course of action mm. that the players can anticipate. So sometimes those work off a, uh, a little bit better. Huh. But, you know, also I've had some cunning encounters with things like, uh, oh, jeez. Just um, a couple weeks ago, I had a den of thieves in a dungeon, and then the players went uh, off on those, and uh, they're having pretty good luck, and then they got sidetracked by snooping around in all the little places, and then the thieves were able to gather their forces and then bum-rush them all at once, and backstab city. Oh. Six sneak attacks later, I got a paladin and a sorceress laying on the ground, and, uh, you know, hurt looks. <laughs> what are you trying to do? But, you know, the rest of the party had to pick it up. The cleric and the uh, rogue and the ranger. Uh, a you know. mighty flanking took place. <laughs> yeah. They began, uh, you know, <clears throat> good on a ranger just having a good old war dog as a companion rather than a, some fanciful crazy creature. My ranger, John Wick. No. <laughs> good dog. Do not kill his dog. <laughs> do, not, just do not kill his dog. That's all we're saying. 
So sometimes those can, you know, then that was just strict improv. You know, I didn't have a complete plan. They were being pretty stealthy and eliminating all oppositions they went through. But uh, sometimes just the way events unfold. But getting back to the villain part, when you design a villain, you know, um, you're going to have to make a decision. Is this going to be a major portion of the campaign? Because a good villain, you can get about a good solid dozen adventures, sessions out of it. I think if you do it right with an organization, with a well-planned, well-thought-out. But also don't sell out something as minor as a bandit lord who, as player characters are throwing their weight around the wilderness, has decided to set sights on them. Yeah, there's no reason you have... This was the thing I wanted to mention before, is that don't, again, don't be pigeonholed into the notion of like an all-or-nothing absolute rivalry. Yeah. So much as a constantly at odds but not necessarily at war. You can have people who oppose the player character's interests in ways that are subtle, uh, like they're they're thwarted in a, the pursuit of a particular goal, a secondary goal, not like life or death. We're trying to save the princess, and he stabs her in the chest. No, doesn't have to be that dramatic. You can do something as subtle as they're trying to climb to political power, and somebody else is also doing that. And the best part is if the opponent is not evil and is not using highly unethical means, like, you know, random murders and, you know, poisonings and stabbings, if they're just using a little propaganda, a rumor here, maybe a bribe there, you don't really have player characters in a position where they can just terminate them with force. Yeah, with extreme prejudice. Like, they, we're going to kill this like we do an orc boss. No, no, you can't. No, this is this is somebody with clout, uh, respectability, influence, and there will be consequences for terminating them. So you can create very frustrating, very time-consuming situations where the players are going to have to put a lot more thought into how they overcome that opponent. And that makes for a great, not-quite-a-villain villain. Yep, and also non-human monsters. Oh, We've been much. spending a lot of time talking about the normal civilized types of monsters, you know, organizations, and of course you'd be talking about undead, or even uh, humanoids. But let's talk about the non-human monsters, one you wouldn't think of. Like politicians. Like a Morkoth on the <laughs> side of a coast who has enslaved a group of Sahaugan to his will. Oh, perfect. And now is sending the Sahaugan assassins, the, the ones that, uh, the Malenti, I believe they're called, the ones who are born looking like elves. Oh, that's right. They're they're they look like a sea elf. Yep, and it started casting its slimy tentacles uh, more towards the uh, shoreline to gain power. And you could have just like in um, Secret of Salt Marsh, you know, running afoul with smugglers or pirates who are also enslaved to this beast, you know, as the main Poland. But right there, there's a coalition of creatures that are working against them. Another one could be a green hag with a group of uh, hill giants. Not true. Uh, any creature... Now, in one case, I used a noble lamia. There you uh, go, yeah. With uh, a, you know, a few lesser lamia flanking, uh, and they converted an entire small area. Uh, like the population of that area was all converted to their service, and they were orgiastically feeding on whomever they felt like because nobody cared. Nobody was going to argue with them about it. Mm -hmm. They tapped a wisdom off of anybody at random, uh, charmed everyone that they encountered, and sent their 
minions out to go capture more people for us. And when you've got multiple chances to charm somebody, it's very hard for, you know, somebody to save every single time. So slowly but surely, they had built this army of completely compliant servants uh, and captured soldiers who had come to investigate. And they were just getting stronger uh, until the players arrived and, of course, upset all of that. Uh, and, once again, uh, hitting on that riff of players not doing what you think, I expected them to go fall for the let's stop the grand ritual at its peak and uh, no, they did not do that. They did not go to the area with all the people assembled and, you know, do the long, hard fight, to, you know, run a gauntlet of minions. And, no, they hid themselves in the uh, lair during this ritual while everybody was away, and they waited. They laid in wait and then blocked all entrance for assistance after the boss's little crew had walked in. Uh, they basically locked it in behind them and then did the little boss fight right there with most of the minions out of the way. Yep, Brutal! And, and that there you go. That's, that's exactly what you want to let happen. It's just let the players run the game as they want. But nonetheless, we have a lot of different uh, stories to tell about the villains that we've had. Some of them like uh, Grayana uh, oh. that I uh, souped up. You know, you can also see few monsters. Up drow uh, fighter with dual-wielding specialization short swords and a ring of vampiric regeneration. Super tough. Uh, made a great boss fight at the high levels. And, you know, some of the, sometimes that can be all you need. But as far as dragons go, I've always found that dragons are... Uh, you have to avoid being caught in a lair. That's a big one. So I tend not to use dragons as villains so much as showpiece encounters. At least in my experience. I mean, everybody, I'd be more than willing to discuss dragon tales, but I usually find that if you get a dragon on ground and ready to uh, rip it up with the adventures, he usually comes out a little on the negative side of things. You might kill a couple players, but usually most of the guys survive and drag the <laughs> burned-up corpses back for resurrection. <laughs> Nonetheless, that's part of the game, and that's what we play it for, is that, you know, it's... That you're rolling the dice and you're betting that you can overcome, and more of the time, players will surprise do the darndest things to surprise you. So, again, don't get too sold on your villains, yeah. Be comfortable with uh, getting innovative on your villains, yeah. It, yep. Be ready to let them go at a moment's notice, but don't ever feel locked into one stereotypical villain subtype. Uh, could be as something as subtle as a particularly ambitious doppelganger. There you go. All the way up to that upper tier with the, the liches and, uh, you know, or a, you know, moderate level uh, demon or devil trapped on the material plane, uh, wreaking havoc, you know, in a subtle fashion, you know, building a base of power. You know, you can, you can have the organizations and things like that, but it doesn't have to be human. Uh, you know, just, it can still be convivial and cunning and, you know, frustrating to deal with without being a rickshasa i've had oh, one of my favorite villains is the, the rickshasa i had one in the pathfinder campaign the curse of the crimson uh crown and boy did that guy just really scare the players and also vex them but <laughs> he was helping them and they needed his help even though they knew that they were dealing with a man-eating 
evil extraplanar beast that just... But he could be reasoned with. Yes, and, you know, they were uh, aligned purposes with him. So, but our time is starting to come to a close here. Yes, and we're, we're going to be responsible with our timing today. Yes, we are. But we appreciate you sticking around, of course. If you have questions, comments, concerns, all that, you can direct them to that brick wall over there. No, we're just kidding. <laughs> Let us know. We're on Twitter. I'm at uh, DeathHandGaming.com. Our circular file is always ready. <laughs> That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And Mike's at uh, Vox Magi, but also he has... Mox, the, or Magi Vox. Magi Vox. Twitter. My apologies. My humble yes, apologies. Magi Vox at Twitter. Ah. And also you have your uh, blog. I do. I do. And uh, you check that out at Dice is Screaming. And of course, we're on Facebook. Hey, follow us. Yeah, we can. Follow us on Facebook. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, add your voice to the... Tens of followers that we have. <laughs> the book of many faces. And help us uh, make these episodes better. Next week, we're going to be doing a Twitter poll. That's right, a Twitter poll with a giveaway. And also Instagram. Uh, Instagram, yes. My wife runs the Instagram account of the Dicer Screaming, and she has been getting quite a few follows. So any of you folks who are following our Instagram, pay special attention because we're going to be giving a freebie away for the holidays. We'll tell you what it is next week. Keep you in stitches until then. But uh, as always, it's been good hanging out with you, and we hope that you enjoyed hanging out with us. But uh, yes, our time now is at an end. So we will bid you adieu. But until then, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.